we want to begin with this truth from the Bible. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3, 8. And I really want to welcome each of you to this seven-week series called Deliver Us, Life in the Victory of Jesus. Seven weeks on the world, the flesh, and the devil. Seven weeks on the spiritual battle that is real. Seven weeks on experiencing the victory, the joy, the freedom, the hope that we have in Jesus. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he sums up all of Jesus' mission with this one sentence. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, if you are new to Jesus, I really am glad you're here. You're new to Christianity. You're just checking things out. Um, it, it, today in our secularism, today, this topic can feel ridiculous. Uh, I mentioned this last week, but in, you might be here today and you're new and you're thinking evil, demons, spiritual beings that deceive, the devil. Uh, no, you know, I'm not sure I'm there yet because we... And you're there because many of us have been shaped by our post-Christian secular culture, which says there is no true evil, nothing truly demonic. There certainly is no devil, and it's a struggle for us. Um, I think of the song Side by the band Travis, their 2001 song Side. Um, one of my favorite bands in my early 20s was the band Travis from Scotland, and uh, love their music. Love, love lots of their lyrics. Uh, but there was always one lyric that, that troubled me, and it was, it was this one. We all live under the same sky. We all will live. We all will die. There is no wrong. There is no right. The circle only has one side. The circle only has one side. Okay, what's going on there? Um, the idea, uh, if, if I'm following the writer, is that we're... We're all on the same side, and I, and I understand that in terms of the human race, right? God loves the world. Each one of us, we're all in this sphere together. We're all in this together, so please recycle, right? I get it. Um, but I get tripped up on there is no wrong, there is no right. Okay, so there is no wrong. There is no wrong. What does that say about racism, genocide, greed, all forms of injustice? when right now in Israel today, hundreds are dying, thousands are dying, right, in this conflict that has gone on for years and years, right? There's no wrong, okay? There's no right. What, is, what does that mean when it comes to love, to justice, to mercy, to compassion, to grace? What, is it, what does it mean when it comes to, like, what about reconciliation? What about peace? In, in Israel, to, to watch there be peace in a place that is torn apart by war. Isn't that right? Isn't that good? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't we, aren't we all wishing for that? I, I, I will continue to love the band Travis, especially their live show at Glastonbury in 2001. Oof, unreal. But here's the deal. This is not the world I live in. These lyrics, this is not the world I live in. And this is not the world we want to live in. Hope comes when we're able to see clearly, this is wrong, this is right. Life and certain issues are absolutely complicated all the time. There's, they're always complicated. But you and I know that deep down, 
There is a wrong and right embedded in the fabric of the universe. That if God is a God of love, then he has given a blueprint for the world. And there is a wrong and there is a right. And so I just want to say for all of you who are new to Jesus and you're just exploring all of this, if you believe that there are such categories like good and evil, then I think you're already in an amazing place. You're already in a great place because you're already ready to be in a position to trust Jesus because Jesus saw the world this way. Jesus knew when he looked at the world that there was a real presence of evil in the world and that there was something called truth in the world. And he came as the embodiment of that truth. And, and to, to, to kind of paraphrase an author named Dallas Willard, often we think of Jesus as Lord and we think of him as Savior and he is those things. King, Lord, Savior, all of it. But do we believe he's smart? Do you believe he's smart? That he is the smartest, wisest, most in tune to the human condition teacher who has ever lived. If so, trust him. Try trusting him on this one. Because when he looked at the world, he knew that there was an enemy whose job description was to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says it this way. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have there been things in your life that have been taken from you, destroyed, or put to death? Physically, relationally, spiritually? Then maybe, maybe you have an enemy. So let's learn to trust Jesus on this one. Let's learn to be apprenticed to Jesus on this one because he is leading us into life and life to the full. And Jesus, we trust you here in this place. We trust that you are leading us into life and life to the full. And Lord, today, would you show us the way in which the enemy of our souls works? And would you expose those lies so that we can live in freedom and hope in the days to come? Jesus, this is your space. This is your church. Holy Spirit, come and fill this room with the joy and the freedom and the love of the Father. We pray that you would teach us, that you would guide us, and that you would set us free. Amen. James, Jesus' little brother, says this. He writes this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you like a scared street dog or something like that, right? He'll flee. This is not yin and yang. This is not like, ah, oh, some good, some evil, 50-50, who's going to win? No. The devil has to flee. You are in Christ. We'll get into this later. You're in Christ. The devil has to flee. So resist the devil. He will flee from you, says James. Now, how do I resist the devil? Well, that is our question today and for the next number of weeks. We're going to spend some time on this. How do I resist the devil when, I, when I'm not even sure how he operates? So we find, we find that learning how the devil operates 
is the key to being able to resist them. Now, most of us know that this is the way it works, uh, especially in the world of sports, okay? So it's fall, and fall equals football. Can I get an amen? Yeah. There we go. Um, so fall is football. Now, many of you NFL people, I love that. I don't know a ton about the NFL. I'm much more of a college football person. And, uh, and so I cheer for the Oklahoma Sooners. And many of you will be aware that the Oklahoma Sooners uh, pulled off an incredible victory over the Texas Longhorns yesterday. And any day that Texas is brought to its knees, any day where the pride and the self-centeredness and self-focus of a state that thinks it's all about it, you know, whatever, anytime there's humility brought to that state, it is a good day. Can I get an amen? No? No one's amening me on that one. Okay, all right, you have a friend from Texas. Well, you have a friend from Oklahoma right here in front of you. So, but, so here's the deal. Between games, football players will watch lots of film, right? They'll watch a lot of film, a lot of tape, in order to prepare for their, for their opponents the following weekend. What are they doing when they watch that much video, right? They're, they're, what they're studying their opponent to see here it is, the tactics and strategies that, they've, that, 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 the, that their enemy opponent, that their opponent has used in the past, and in ways in which they're now vulnerable to defeat. And, 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 and this is what we're doing in the spiritual realm. You and I are watching film here. We're watching tape. Right? This, is what we're, this is why we're here. We're, we're watching. We're studying and we want to understand the tactics and strategies of the enemy and see where they're vulnerable to defeat. That's it, okay? So we need to understand, we're not becoming obsessed by this. This is not what we're doing. If any of you have attended North Langley for a long period of time, this is, we don't become obsessed with these things. All we're simply doing is learning, learning how the devil works, how the demonic works, how these dark spiritual powers work in order, of, in order for us to go, ah, I see what you're doing. Because, because when we start to follow Jesus or we're early on in our, in our experience with Jesus, all of a sudden, we're, like it's, it's new to us. We're like, what is going on with my life? Why do I feel so tempted? Why do I feel so deceived? Why do I feel so confused, right? And the more we're apprenticed under Jesus, we start to smell him like a mile off. We're like, no, I know what you're doing. No, nope, you're not going to do that here. Not now. In, in Jesus' name, get out of here, right? Like, like I, I'm seeing you come in a mile away. There's no sneak attack here any longer, right? We've, we know your tactics. We know your strategy. You, there's no room for you here, right? Does that make sense? So we are no longer caught off guard, but we understand what we're dealing with. So, all right, so who is the devil? We, we covered some of this last week, but we're just a little bit of a refresher, and then we're exposing the way in which he works. So who's the devil? Well, it's always tempting, especially we're around Halloween here, to think of a guy in red, you know, spandex and uh, holding a pitchfork, having a bit of a tail, right? Uh, I, honestly, to be honest, I don't even know where that image comes from, uh, historically or something like that. It's not biblical. It's cartoonish. It's childish. I would encourage you, try to get that out of your head. Um, Lewis, C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, uh, wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Any, any of you read The Screwtape Letters? Can I see a show of hands? Yes, some of you. Okay, so the rest of you in the room are going to think this is really weird, what I'm about to read here. But, the, but those of you who know the screw tape letters will understand what I'm getting at here. But Lewis wrote this very interesting book. It's a fictional story of this older demon who's mentoring a younger demon. It's funny. When I say it out loud, it just sounds wild. Okay, so this is a book, yes. Uh, but the, it's an odd premise for a book. But here's what Lewis was doing. I think it's brilliant. He's trying to do what we're doing today. He's trying to expose the way in which evil works. Okay, that's what he's doing. He's trying to get it out into the open. 
And so, um, and so there's a section on how these demons are trying to get us not to believe in the devil at all. And so I'm going to read a quote. And in this quote, you and I are referred to as the patient. Okay, the patient in this quote. So the senior de- demon is mentoring, his name's Screwtape. He's mentoring a younger demon named Wormwood. And he says this, quote, I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. So notice that. When we go like, ah, it's so absurd, a guy in red tights, I mean, come on, this is the 21st century, you know, really? <laughs> you know, no red tights, right? And so the New Testament actually describes the devil as a spirit, a spirit, a spirit who looks like the light. Okay, so just write down your mind, remove that pitchfork idea and just say, actually, this is an angel. Angel just means angelos, it just means messenger. So it's a messenger of light. The Apostle Paul says this about him. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So so we try to remove any unhelpful versions of the devil from our mind, and let's listen to the Bible. And so he's called devil, as I mentioned last week, diabolos, which means slanderer. And and this Greek word was used often uh, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament for the word Satan. Now, Satan, again, is not a name. It's a title. It's a kind of a description of what this being does. Satan just means accuser. Accuser. And it usually has the definite article before. So the accuser, the Satan, right? So the devil and Satan, this is the same spiritual being that masquerades as an angel of light, a messenger of light, and he's a slanderer and an accuser. This is what he does. Ah, okay, so this is helping us. Have you ever felt slandered or accused in your soul, right? Okay, this is becoming relevant to us, right? And in the New Testament, he's called the evil one in Matthew 5. He's described as a dragon in Revelation 12, a serpent in 2 Corinthians 11, a tempter in Matthew 4, the ruler, the prince of this age in John 12 and Ephesians 2. Now, we're getting an idea of who he is, but... How does he work? So I was really helped by um, a pastor named Jeremy Treat uh, in his book called Crucified King. And he writes this. This is how the enemy works. He writes, quote, the means by which Satan rules are, one, temptation, two, deception, three, accusation, all of which result in four, death. These are the works or schemes of the devil. Now, here it is. Temptation plus deception plus accusation equals death. Can you just repeat that after me? Temptation, deception, accusation equals death. Remember, we're, we're watching tape here, okay? We're, we're studying this. We're going, okay, well, that's the play. That's the play. By the way, he's not a complicated enemy. He makes a very similar play every single time. Temptation, deception, accusation, which all equals death. So like we said last week, he shows you something you desire, 
okay? Temptation. You shouldn't have it, right? But there it is. Then he'll lie to you and deceive you, step two. And he'll try to reason your way into it, to, to, to have it. And then once you take it, once you take it, he accuses you and condemns you. And as we said last week, uses God's law against you, right? He says, look, look at you. You're a failure. You, 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 you are absolutely a failure. You're going nowhere in life, right? You've, you've disappointed people around you, right? This is the accusation. So it's so cruel. And the, the devil uses words for all of this. It's not like audible words, but these are, this is Jesus is the king who uh, brings life, and Satan is a false king who brings lies. Life and lies. So, so, so a king, what does a king do? A king rules uh, by proclaiming, pronouncing, declaring. So Jesus is the true king. He comes proclaiming and pronouncing and declaring truth, truth, truth. True things, good things, right? But Satan is the false king. He rules with temptation, lies, and accusations. So that's what he speaks. This is what he's fluent in. And Jesus is the rightful king who speaks life, opposed to the false king who speaks lies. Now, let's watch this at work. So we're going to, we're going to spend a lot of time in the next few weeks unpacking all of this, but I want to begin by uh, taking us to the very first story where we see this in the Bible. And so if you will, will you grab your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we're going to spend time in the first seven verses of chapter 3. And, and what we're doing here is we're reading the story of a serpent who comes and tempts uh, humanity or the first humans. Now, here's what you need to know. Background, God makes a beautiful world. There's a beautiful garden, and the first peoples are placed in this garden. It's beautiful. And God says, enjoy it. Take care of it and enjoy it. And there's all kinds of trees. I don't know how many trees, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of trees. Many trees, millions of trees, whatever. Uh, hey, there's one tree, one tree, that I'm going to ask you not to eat from this one tree. And... Uh, where do you think this story is going? <laughs> it's like, tell me about the one tree, you know? It's like, wow. How, it's interesting how humans do this, right? It's just, I want to know all about that tree, even though I have access to 99.9999% of other trees. So this is the story. Um, a serpent comes to tempt Eve uh, and uh, with what is forbidden. Because God had said, don't, don't eat from this one tree. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we'll pick up the story, Genesis 3. Uh, starting in verse 1, we read this about the serpent. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, you need to know this story in Genesis 3 is what we call a meta story. It's, it is a story that continues to happen, cycle back and happens again and again throughout the ages, over and over again throughout history. It happens in my life and it happens in your life. And to be honest, this happens in my life every day, this story. And if I'm actually really honest, it happens in my life multiple times a day. This is a, an important story. And again, we're watching tape, right? We're watching the film here, we're trying to understand how he works. So remember how he works. Temptation, deception, accusation equals death. So step one, these humans are tempted by this fruit and the promise of the fruit. They longed for what? Wisdom, for enlightenment, for their eyes to be open. Now, I follow some biblical scholars who argue that what's really going on here is it's not that they just want to eat some fruit. This is not the picture. This is a metaphor of being able to take what is not yours and to define good and evil. So it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but what they're actually doing is not just learning something, they're choosing to define good and evil. It's, it's you know, knowing the difference between good and evil is very important in life, right? What this is, is the temptation to take and eat and define what is good. It's to say, God has said no to this, I say yes to this, God has called this not good, I will call it good. In my life, I'm God, right? I'm taking the place of God. I'm taking the central place in life, and I'll decide what is right in my life. And so we're tempted by what's pleasing to the eye. That's a pleasing thing to say, hey, Lord, actually, uh, I'll pick and choose. Thank you very much. What is good for me? So, so first of all, it's a temptation to do that, right? So you notice the first people there in the garden are tempted with that. Now, they're deceived as well. Step two is they're deceived. They're deceived by the serpent. And I just want you to watch his deceit. Um, he says, you will not certainly die. That is a lie. That's a lie. To take and eat what was forbidden and try to be like God, defining good and evil, that would bring death. God had warned them about this death in the previous chapter. Death would come into their life as they tried to take the fruit that was not theirs. In other words, if they tried to take God's place and to become their own gods, it would not go well for them. So the serpent deceives Eve. Hey, hey, those consequences won't apply to you, right? Don't worry about it. It's going to be different for you. You and I know that when we watch people take the bait, as it were, and we watch people's lives fall apart, that there are certain decisions that have a well-worn path of pain, right? I mean, just start thinking greed, lust, think about adultery, like all of it. There is a well-worn path that leads to lots of pain. But for us, the enemy comes and goes, no, 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 see, you're going to be able to taste the fruit and, it, and that won't happen. You're different. It's going like, to be different for you. Right? It's, it's such a lie. 
And I want you to notice something. This is not my notes, but this is so deceitful. Earlier on in chapter 3, he comes to the woman and says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Like, what's he doing? He's like, that sounds mean. What a mean God, right? You can't can't eat from any tree in the garden. Now, what did God say? He didn't say any tree in the garden. He said, you can eat like all of the trees that, right? Like I said, 99.99999% of the trees, just the one tree, right? Now, Eve does a good job here. She actually corrects she actually corrects the serpent with the truth, right? She says, no, no, no. God, God says we could have actually all the trees of the garden. He just said, not this one in the middle of the garden. And even if you touch it, you'll die. Notice how she adds to God's law. Did you hear that? So she's even confused herself a little bit. She's like, well, I think like we're not allowed to eat from it, but I bet you like we're not even allowed to touch it. Oh, weird. That's a, that's a new rule, <laughs> Right? And so, but I just want you to see just the, the, the deceit there, right? So he comes in with this deceit, and once Adam and Eve disobey God, now let me pause a second. I'll make this clear. Up to this point, there is no sin yet. Simply to be tempted and to feel deceived, these are not sins. Let's just be really clear, okay? You know, this is, this is a moment to go, we're noticing the tactics of the enemy, right? Um, sin is, is an action, right? It's to follow up on that temptation and that deceit. Does that make sense? Just to be really clear, right? So, so and, then, and then what happens? And then uh, we take and eat. Now, if we take and eat, what does Satan do, as I mentioned? Accusation. Lawbreaker, right? You're a lawbreaker. You're so worthless, right? You don't deserve life. You don't deserve grace. You don't deserve mercy. You don't deserve forgiveness. You're a lawbreaker, right? This is what he says. This is is accusations. And by the way, I just want to pause and say it's very, you have to be very clear where you're at because some of you have felt the accusation of the enemy simply by being tempted, okay? You go, I'm so worthless because I'm tempted. Whoa, you have not yet taken of the fruit. <laughs> Don't let the enemy jump to accusation all of a sudden when you're only being tempted. You say, hold on a second. That's not me. <laughs> That's not my identity in Christ. Be gone with you. In the name of Jesus, get out of here. Right? So it's just, you're going to accuse me just because I'm being tempted. Right? Now, but even if we take the fruit, even if we sin and we, and we trespass and we, we do things, we're in a, that even then, even then, the so. God is going to rescue us from the accusations of the enemy, and I'll get, get to that in just a second. But all, all we're meant to see here is the tape. We're watching tape. We're watching the film. We're understanding our opponent. He shows you something you desire that you shouldn't have. He lies to you and deceives you into trying to get it, and then accuses you and condemns you when your life falls apart. It's so cruel. And I have personally experienced this in my life. And I've tried to be honest with you throughout the years. It's always weird to talk about. But for about 10 years of my life, many of you in the church will know, I struggled with pornography from age 16 to about age 26. And in 2006, God worked a powerful work of freedom in my life. Many thanks to many Christians in my life who walked with me, prayed with me, were my accountability partners, a wife who walked with me, prayed with me. There was freedom um, and I'm so grateful for the Lord and for my friends and for my wife during that period of time. But for those 10 years, I can, I can 
I, I, can, I can feel, I just, if I go back to that moment, feeling the temptation, what's the temptation? For a false love, a false connection, a false nearness, right? It's, an, it's empty. Like when it comes to pornography, like that, that love, that connection, that nearness, it's not there. But like I'm hungry for it. Like I want, an, I want to be loved. Like I want the connection. I want the nearness. But it's always a false love. So first, it's tempting, right? And secondly, it's deceiving. The, the, Satan comes with deceit, and he, and he says, hey, no one needs to know. Or everybody does this. Or this is probably your last time. All of which are like just blatant deception. And then accusation, right? So, so I, I remember experiencing it. Even before I sin, I even felt the accusation. I'm even just being tempted, and I feel the accusation. But if I sin, there the accusation is as well. You're worthless, Matthew. You are a disappointment, Matthew. And death. You know, I experienced this. It feels like a spiritual death, but even a temptation to say, I shouldn't even live any longer. And one evening, was, I was very tempted. And it, and it gives me, um, hopefully, some compassion for many of you who have hit that place in life where it just feels like you cannot see what's in front of you. Like you can't even imagine a life where you're not stuck. This is how he works. Another example is, is bitterness. And um, even as I say the word, you're like, seriously, again, Matthew, bitterness? It's like, I think I bring it up every week. <laughs> You're like, we know, you bring it up every week. But it's, it, is, um, it is a tactic of the enemy which is absolutely cruel. And here's why. Because something happened to you. Somebody did something terrible to you. Somebody hurt you in a way that was devastating. And it was wrong, period. And it's brutal, period. And it was unjust, period. Right? Now, but, but watch the enemy. He'll sneak into that moment into the pain of that moment. Because you know it's already going to be a long process of healing, right? And you know that you've got, you've got to work on how do I find healing, how do I find hope based on what this person did to me, okay? But what the enemy does, I just want to just expose this, right? We're watching tape, we're watching the film reel. He gets in there, and he has done this a thousand times before he gets in there, and then he goes, okay, wallow in your bitterness. <laughs> Sounds weird to say it out loud, but it's like, why? Why is that tempting? Why is that pleasing to the eye to be bitter? Because, because it feels like revenge. Because it feels like justice, maybe. Because it satisfies us in a weird way for that moment. And because we go, you know what? Maybe the world forgot what you did to me. And maybe everyone else has forgotten. But I remember, and even how I feel about you right now, it's this, it's this form of justice. Even if the whole world falls apart and forgets about it, I remember, and I hold this grudge against you, right? And, it, and, it's, and when there was no justice, it feels like justice, and it feels good, and we're tempted to take that fruit. And we're being deceived, right? Because the enemy comes and says, yeah, it's a form of justice. This, is, this will make things right. But we know that's a lie. And then when we start to cycle downward in our bitterness and our lack of forgiveness, then we just go, oh, I'm such a disappointment. 
I'm never getting over this. This wound is never going to heal, right? And we enter into despair, right? Cycling downward into despair. See how the enemy works? Now, I just want to let you know, some of you who are new to Jesus, new to Christianity, because we're going to park on this bitterness for a second here. You've heard the teaching on forgiveness for Christians in Christianity, and it's probably a turnoff to you. Because I've met a few of you who are new to Jesus, and you're like, I don't know about that forgiveness thing. Like, what are you guys doing over there, Christians? Like, you're just kind of enabling bad behavior? So somebody hurts me, and I'm just supposed to forgive and just, like, walk away? Like, where's the justice? Okay. I want to now, like, preach a whole hour-long sermon on forgiveness, but, like, I don't have the time. But I'm just like, we've preached on forgiveness in the past. Email me. I'll send you a link. Like, there's so much beauty in the, in, in the teaching on forgiveness in the Christian church. It just briefly, trust me on this, it, is not, it does not do away with justice, right? We care about justice. Like, it, it, it's not like those people get off. They, they have to stand before God. And there's so much I want to say. But I want to say this, forgiveness, when we practice it, it has so much to do with your freedom, with you being set free, with a God that loves you and does not want you to be caged in your bitterness and lack of forgiveness. And God loves you so much. And the Apostle Paul knew how important forgiveness was in countering the attack of the enemy. So writing to Christians in Corinth about forgiveness, he says this. He says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us. Look at that. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Look at this. He takes the schemes of Satan and lack of forgiveness, and he brings them together. Why? Because the Apostle Paul is a pastor, and he has walked with his congregations, and he knows, he knows that one of the, one of the most key ways in which the enemy of our souls can get in there and can, and can literally enslave us and, and trap us is through lack of forgiveness. It's through bitterness. And so what does he do? He says, if we have that verse up on the screen again, he says, verse 10, he, he throws like, it's like a forgiveness bomb goes off, right? It's like, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. What I've forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I've forgiven. It's like, boom, 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 boom. And then verse 11, in order that Satan might not outwit us, we're not, we're not unaware of his schemes. We have watched the film reel. We know his schemes. We're not unaware of his schemes. He uses bitterness. He tempts us with bitterness. He tempts us with lust. We know this. Do we need freedom from lust, from pornography? Do we need freedom from bitterness, from unforgiveness? Yes. Yes. And as hard as it is to walk these journeys of freedom, it is good. And freedom tastes so good. And a heart set free feels so good. And to know that the person that hurt you no longer has authority over you, it feels so good, right? And to be able to walk with this purity of heart and to put your head on the pillow at night and to know that Christ has set your heart free from the lust of the flesh, that there's, a, there's just, it tastes good. <laughs> and he sets us free. Do you see, can I just pause? Do you see how relevant this is to our life? Each of us knows this, if we're honest. Right? 
And the enemy of our souls wants to keep us chained. But we're not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware of his schemes. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus is sabotaging the work of the enemy. Jesus is sabotaging the work of the enemy. Jesus comes into our life in truth with a great rescue for his children. Amidst every temptation, every deception, every accusation, what do we do? What's the answer? We turn and receive Jesus. Here's how it works. In every temptation, we turn to Jesus and see what? A better love. A better fulfillment. A richer and deeper acceptance. That's what we do. We turn to Jesus And included in Christ is all of his incredible people. Like, here we have love. Here we have an acceptance that no temptation can offer, right? And we learn to love him and know him. And with every deception, we turn to Jesus and we find truth. And he's happy to give us his truth. He's happy to give us his wisdom. He's happy to share with us his moral heart for the world. And with every accusation, we turn and hear the Father say, no. You are not worthless. You're my child. You're my son, and you're my daughter, and I love you, and I paid an ultimate price for you to be adopted into my family. That is, your, your identity is not worthless. Your identity is a child of God. And with the threat of death, we turn to Jesus, and we see the victory of Jesus. As we saw last week on the cross, that death that Adam and Eve passed on to us would no longer apply to us. And here's a verse to memorize. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made. All right, that was sleepy. We're going to do it again. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. alive. Amen. He dies so that you and I do not have to die. He rose from the dead, defeating, crushing death. His blood cleanses us of all sin. He rescues us from the curse of the enemy. And at the cross, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. He cries out, it is finished on the cross. This is Christus victor, Christ our victor. Colossians 2, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. As we saw last week, he disarms the dark powers and the battle is done. Christus victor. And Jesus promises to continue to crush the head of the serpent today. The head of the serpent. Where do you think? Listen to Paul. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Right? Soon crush Satan under your feet. What is it? Who's he using? You, the church. God is ready to crush the enemy under our feet as we live lives of freedom and victory. So Jesus is sabotaging the work of the enemy. Take heart. Lewis says this, quote, enemy occupied territory. That's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king is landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I love that. In the words of Ad-Rock, MCA, and Mike D. Listen, all y'all, it's a sabotage, right? It's a great campaign of sabotage. Jesus has won the victory at the cross. Jesus is moving through the world, through every human heart, offering freedom. Just listen to these words. Just taste the beauty of these words. Freedom. He's offering the world hope. He's offering the world peace. As we we see our neighbors, 
bombing each other, killing each other in the Middle East as we see what's going on in Israel. And, and we just say, could the Prince of Peace enter that place and bring reconciliation and freedom? The, the, the king is offering mercy. He's offering forgiveness. He's offering grace. And he's offering life. And in every temptation that comes our way, the counter move is the presence of Jesus. The counter move is a deeper love that is only found in him. See, we're not going to make any progress without presence, without the very presence of Christ, who gives us a deeper joy and a deeper hope than we could ever imagine. So with every temptation, with every accusation, uh, please know you're the beloved of God, that you are deeply loved, that you are deeply valuable, that you are someone who has a purpose in this life, that you're not alone, no matter how much the enemy would want to tell you you're alone, that you are cherished by the King of Kings himself. Remember, and here's another one to memorize, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you, for all of you who have given your life to Christ, who have received Christ, you need to know that there is one who's in the world, right? He is the devil. That's Satan. But the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Who is in you? You are positioned in Christ. Christ has filled your life. You are in him. He is in you. You are in Christ, right? If I take this sheet of paper and I put it in the scriptures here, where is that sheet of paper? It's in, right? And what happens to this? happens to the paper. You're the paper. This is Christ, right? So what happens to him happens to you. He was crucified, so you were crucified. I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you're in Christ. But when Christ rose from the dead, what happened to you? You rose from the dead. You've been given life. And where is Christ now? seated at the right hand of the Father. Where are you? You are seated in the heavenly places. You're in Christ. Right? I hope that gives you hope. If you are in him, then all that is true about him is true for you. And that gives us a great hope. And I just folded up my last page of notes. Here they are. Let's stand together. We're going to worship. We're going to worship. This week, may I encourage you to keep practicing the habit of community of life together. You have mentors, you have friends, you have apprentice groups and you have life groups. You have all kinds of programs here in the church of relationship. What happens this week? You and I get in these relationships and we share, we come, we're vulnerable. We're for the first time maybe we're open about some things we're walking through. And as we expose that to the light, the enemy has no more authority. We're calling him out on what he's doing. And then you pray for each other and pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit and pray for the freedom that can only come from the Spirit. By the way, I just encourage you, you can start that now. So our prayer team will be at the front. Our prayer team will be in the prayer room. They would love to pray for you. Also, our prayer team said, we would love to pray for a friend of yours too. So they want to intercede. So if you know of someone who just is so caught in lies, 
and deceit and you want to you want to pray for their freedom just come forward pray for your friend by the way there's something powerful in turning to someone maybe next to you to say would you pray for me as we sing the song pray for me don't rush away from this place without prayer right how could you huddle together and pray we want this whole room to be a room of prayer and to come forward to receive prayer from our team like we just pray that God would begin to break something that's what the seven weeks is about, that God would start to just, he would just break through and that there would just be this freedom and this hope that comes as, as the lies of the enemy are broken. And so we want to see that begin here today. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have crushed the head of the serpent. We thank you that you are continuing to defeat the evil one. We thank you that you're a king, a king who comes with life. And so would you defeat the king of lies? Uh, would you crush him? Would he flee from this place, flee from our church, flee from um, all the ways in which he is working in our lives, Lord? We just pray that you would come set us free. We hear uh, James say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So Lord, that's what we're doing. We resist the devil and may he flee from us that we would find life and life to the full. We thank you and we love you. Amen.